Hello, and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with Tracy Barrett, the author of more than 20 books for children and teens, including Anna of Byzantium, Dark of the Moon, King of Ithaca, and The Stepsister's Tale. Her next book arrives this spring, Maribel and the Book of Fate, first in a middle grade series set in a fantasy kingdom known as Magicos. It arrives in February from Little Brown Books for Young Readers, which is sponsoring this podcast. Maribel and her twin brother Marco are the eldest children of the King of Magicos, but Maribel might as well be invisible. Her brother is the chosen one who's destined to save their land, at least according to the Book of Fate that rules just about everything anyone important does in Magicos. But after Marco is kidnapped, Maribel takes upon herself to rescue him, joined by her personal maid and best friend Ellie, an opinionated talking unicorn named Floriano. Thanks for speaking with me, Tracy. It's my pleasure. I'm so glad to be here. So a lot of your past novels have had their basis in ancient history, but are you also kind of a longtime fan or student of classic fairy tales and fantasy? Yes, I've always loved fairy tales and mythology. And one of my books actually is a fairy tale retelling, The Stepsister's Tale, which is uh, yet another take on Cinderella, I hope an original one. But I love fairy tales. And um, this one, when it came to me, it was a suggestion by an editor, just captivated me right away. And I had a lot of fun writing it. It was uh, my two books previous to it had been fairly dark, and I really enjoyed having a chance to be funny and explore kind of the, the silly side of fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I think you maybe were alluding to, the, the book is a, an alloy entertainment title. So they approached you with the initial idea? Yes, they did. I had worked with an editor at Alloy before, actually on my on my uh, fairy tale retelling on the stepsister's tale, and she had left Harlequin Teen, which had published that book, to go to Alloy. So when this idea came up in a meeting at Alloy, she suggested me as one of the potential authors for it, and I was very pleased that they uh, chose me to write it. You know, how was it originally sort of pitched or conceived, and was this an easy uh, yes for you? As a writer? It was such an, an easy yes. They had about a one-page treatment that was fairly loose that allowed for a lot of uh, input from me, just even for the basic concept. And we had a meeting where, actually, first uh, I auditioned for it and wrote a couple sample chapters, which they apparently liked well enough to sign me on. And we had a meeting where we plotted out the book in pretty much detail. And then they uh, approached several publishers, including Little Brown, who was the one who wound up being a publisher. It sounds like you had a lot of um, latitude there. Can you talk a little bit about the Land of Magicos and some of the other elements of the book and how you went about sort of developing and building them? Sure. Uh, Originally, I think the idea was pretty much to have a standard fairy tale kingdom, but I found it a lot more fun to sort of turn the conventions on their head and have, uh, you expect a beautiful unicorn, and he is really stunningly beautiful. He's sky blue with a golden horn and uh, just a lovely thing. You'd expect him to also be beautiful in his character, but he's not. He's very grumpy. He's very cranky, very opinionated, as you say. He's also kind of a coward. Uh, I also wanted to make the various creatures and fairy tale beings that they meet not adhere necessarily to the stereotypes we have of them, kind of seeing what a, a troll might really be like, what an ogre might really be like, what kind of families do they have, how do they get along with each other. And that was, for me, the fun part, is trying to figure out how to stay true to fairy tale conventions while subverting them somewhat at the same time. They meet a dragon about halfway into the book. He's the the guard at the dungeon where Maribel's twin brother Marco is being held. 
and he's just bombastic and full of himself and a big pain, but he's also a scary dragon. So that was fun to, to try to combine the two. And I also wanted Maribel to have a real journey. She isn't just a, a fairy tale princess who goes out and is beautiful and good all the time. She has her issues, and her journey in the book is really to find herself. She's always been overlooked in favor of her brother, and she resents that, but she doesn't resent her brother. They have a very close relationship. That was another thing I wanted to explore. In fairy tales, siblings usually don't get along very well, and I thought that was not necessarily a good way to have the book develop. So they are very close and very supportive. He is a lot more passive than she is. She's impulsive, as I said. So it was the combination of standard fairy tale with what might lurk behind everything we always think about fairy tales that I had fun exploring. Well, you know, as you mentioned, Mirabel really does have a pretty good relationship with Marco, but at the same time, you can sense a certain parallel going on with their relationship and then also their father, King Matthew, his relationship with his estranged uh, sister, Queen Mab. Yes. Did you know from the start that was something that you wanted to explore, either in terms of family relationships, but also maybe relationships between the sexes and siblings? Well, that just kind of grew as we wrote. I don't think, I think originally it was just uh, the queen of a neighboring kingdom had kidnapped him, if I remember the original treatment. Uh, it's been a few years, so I don't really remember. But I, I think that was just a, a rival. And uh, it turned out to be kind of fun to have it be, when I was exploring the motivation, why was she kidnapping him? Well, she wants to take over the kingdom, fine, but it would make her more sympathetic if she had a reason for wanting to take over the kingdom. And if she were the older sister and had been overlooked because the kingdom went to the brother, that would make, she still shouldn't kidnap someone, but at least there'd be a reason for it. And once I established that, it seemed that the parallel with the brother and sister of the next generation made a lot of sense too. So I did wind up exploring that and, and bringing it a little more to the fore than I think anyone had originally thought it would be. So the idea of you know accepting one's fate or destiny versus maybe going out and creating one also feels like an important one in the book too. Um, was there something in particular that drew you to those ideas? Yes, that was in it from the beginning. That was kind of the point of the book is, is to have a, a princess who would find her own way and find her own destiny. That was uh, a little tricky to work in with the thousand-year tradition in Magicos that the Book of Fate rules or at least informs people what the future will be. And it it seemed uh, a lot to ask one child to throw off a thousand-year tradition. So that had to be carefully built up. And again, that was a challenge, but I like a challenge, so that was another thing that was fun to do. And having Maribel be the overlooked daughter and perhaps not as schooled in the traditions as her brother also made it a little more psychologically believable. Along those lines, uh, you know, with regard to the Book of Fate, you kind of get the sense that there's just a lot of inertia involved in this culture and that people in the kingdom, the royals maybe in particular, are kind of going through the motions of rituals and things that they don't even really understand or remember how and where they got their start. Is that idea at all tied to research you've done over the years on ancient and medieval civilizations and things like that, or not so much? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think, I think it probably is. I think it's true with most civilizations, is that you have a, a set of guidelines that work for you, so you continue to use them even when the circumstances that set them up are no longer exist. I think a lot of people look on that as one of the reasons for the downfall of um, the ancient Egyptian empire, is that they had a way of life and a religious system that worked quite well in the Bronze Age, but it didn't work so well when the Romans came around and had a different way of doing things. Um, I'm not enough of a historian to know whether that's accurate or not, but I know it's been put forth as, as a reason for why they crumbled. In this society, it was pretty much the same thing, but they became so hidebound that every aspect of their lives in Magicos was determined by the Book of Fate, down to what clothes they wore, down to the way rituals were performed when they had totally lost the meaning of them. That most people don't even understand the language that the Book of Fate was written in because it's a thousand years old, and they have a kind of priestly caste that is very secretive and. Uh, when Marco is kidnapped, there's nothing in the Book of Fate about what to do when the Chosen One disappears. And so that's why Maribel has to go out on this quest. It's because her father just dithers around saying, well, the Book of Fate surely will tell us what to do. And she is just so upset that her brother has disappeared and is in danger that she takes matters in her own hands and defies the Book of Fate. And I guess it's partly because nothing bad happens to her because of that. She doesn't get struck by lightning on her way out of the castle or anything, that she starts seeing that perhaps the Book of Fate is not all that they've been thinking it is for the last thousand years. Out of curiosity, are there other ways where you felt like your your academic background was an asset at all when you were putting the story together? Some. I did uh, reread a lot of fairy tales and kind of look at the early ones, not the, the cleaned up versions that we have, uh, kind of the darker side of some of the fairy tales. I did look at those. One way that was fun was in deciding the names for the various characters and kingdoms in there. And any uh, reader who's interested, if they Google the names of the different kingdoms and the characters might find some fun things that they that they otherwise wouldn't know. And um, you also incorporate a little bit of some, some contemporary references or technological references in the book, too. Mm-hmm. It feels like often in, in service of the, the sort of comedy you're bringing to the book. Was that something that you also were thinking about from the start? Yes. I, I've always enjoyed that kind of anachronism, kind of uh, uh, letting a uh, winking at the reader that they know what I'm talking about, whereas Maribel might be confused. For example, there's a bracelet near the end that Maribel is given that is, is it's, it's really an Apple Watch, <laughs> and it has an imp in it named Scary and that, that she can get information from and use to communicate with. And the, again, it's a little wink at the reader that they're smart enough to know what's going on, and that was, that was interesting to do. And, you know, this story is fairly self-contained, but it is first in the series, right? Yes, Yes, it is. Number two is in the process of revision at the moment. It's called Maribel and the Runaway Wish. And in it, a minor character from book one who doesn't really appear much. She appears at the very beginning and then towards the end, she's Princess Ginevra of a rival kingdom. She's the ultimate mean girl princess. And she makes a kind of disastrous wish right at the beginning of of book two where uh, that Maribel has to undo and uh, so they have they become unwilling allies in this quest to undo the wish because only the person who makes a wish can undo it which is a fairly standard fairy tale theme but so 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 Ginevra has to accompany Maribel on the quest to find the 
magician who can undo the wish so she can be part of it too. And once again, it's a quest story, but it's a different kind of one. They, they don't encounter as many uh, trolls and ogres and dragons and unicorns and things on the way. This one is more of, of a personal journey rather than an adventure. Very good. And uh, did I see that you also have a, a young adult novel uh, coming out this spring? Yes. In April, I have a young adult contemporary novel called Free Fall Summer. It's being published by Charles Bridge Teen, and it's about a skydiving teenage girl who's, well, she wants to be a skydiver, but her father won't let her because her mother was killed in a skydiving accident. And I used to be a skydiver, so I've been wanting for a long time to work skydiving into a novel. And since I've done retellings, I thought of the myth of Icarus, who strapped wings onto himself but flew too close to the sun and wound up dying, drowning in the, in the sea. So I, it started off as kind of an Icarus retelling, but I, it pretty soon deviated from that. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but your first book, I think, was Anna of Byzantium back in 1999? Yes, that's my first novel. I had written, uh, uh, I think, six or seven nonfiction before that, but that was my first novel. What are some of the, the, the biggest changes you feel like uh, you've noticed over the years, and has your, um, your life as a writer compared now to versus then? My life as a writer is quite different. At the time that I wrote all those nonfiction, or most of them, and Anna, and my first several novels, I was teaching Italian language and literature and civilization full-time at Vanderbilt University, and I had small kids in the house, and so I would just squeeze in an hour here, a half hour there, whenever I could. And now I have quit teaching, and my kids are grown and out on their own, and so I have a lot more time. But that doesn't mean I get any more done, but I have a lot more time to do it. As far as the writing itself goes, looking back on my earlier books, I see that my style has changed, and, which I would hope would happen. I hope that people don't write one book and 20 books later they're still writing the same book. So that's kind of interesting to look at. I think my confidence as a writer has really grown. When I started, I wrote nonfiction because I, I knew I could research well. I had just finished a dissertation on a 13th century poet you never heard of. And so I thought nonfiction would be good to write because the story's already there. So I, that's why I started with nonfiction. And then I moved on to historical fiction because once again, the story is already there and I just have to write it well. And it took another, I guess after Anna, uh, it took another two books before I really broke out on my own and, and came up with my own stories. But I still do like retellings and examining a well-known story from another side. So I, I like to do both, and I, I, I would be happy to write more nonfiction too. Mm. And do you? I mean, you know, and also, of course, in more recent books, you're looking at fantasy and you know, now mm -hmm. a contemporary story too. Do you feel like your your interests and in what you want to write about are continuing to evolve over, as well? Yeah, I'm just interested in too many things to settle into one genre. And people tell authors you should be branded, you should be known as a horror writer or a fantasy writer or a humor writer or something. I just can't do it. When I, when an idea comes to me that's interesting, I I like to follow that direction. Maribel's my first pure fantasy. I've had kind of maybe magical realism in the past, a little bit of fantasy elements in a otherwise realistic book. But this is the first time I've written pure fantasy, and I really enjoyed it. I'd love to write more of that, but I'd love to write more. Uh, realistic as well. And um, are there are other projects you're working on at the moment that you can talk about, or is it mostly focusing on, on Maribel and, and her, this series? 
Well, it is focusing on Maribel and on Free Fall Summer, but I am also uh, revising a novel I wrote a few years ago on, this one is historical fiction, and it's about a slave girl in Pompeii right before Vesuvius and during Vesuvius, the eruption. And it, it, it had some problems with it that I couldn't fix, and I've gone back and I'm revising it now while I'm in between things, like when I'm waiting to get revision notes back from my editor or whatever. Very good. Well, uh, congratulations again on this new book, and thanks for speaking with me. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Once again, I've been speaking with Tracy Barrett, whose new book, Maribel and the Book of Fate, is out in February from Little Brown. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. <laughs>